Welcome to the program, and thank you so much for joining us. A somber day, obviously, in this city as we mark a one-year anniversary since the Van attack. You heard all about it in the newscast. I was thinking on my way into the studio as we're going to talk about this later in the program. We're going to listen uh, into what the mayor has to say. We're going to tee up some of those memorials that are happening later on this afternoon. And I thought to myself, I should ask, what is it that's changed in Toronto in the year? that has passed and I think the answer is nothing and I think that is something that all of us should celebrate nothing has changed since the van attack since the terror on the Danforth we continue to be resilient as a city and I think we should celebrate that today Moving on to the uh, the main point of the next half hour is we're going to be talking uh, about and with Doug Ford. Uh, Mr. Premier? Almost hit three telephone poles. Uh, he almost hit three telephone poles. That is what he said yesterday when he called into this very radio program to refute some of the things that we were talking about, the Premier feeling that what had been said was, quote-unquote, misleading the people. He felt that it just was not fair. I think, in a word, if I could sum up how he felt, he was not happy when he called in. And during a wide-ranging interview, he said a number of things, and a number of things that I think we should talk about in the next little while. We're going to play a little bit of what uh, the Premier had to say, and I'm happy to welcome back to the program the instigator, perhaps, of all of this trouble, Martin Reg Kahn, Queens Park columnist for the Toronto Star. Uh, you, I didn't. I, I didn't realize you were such a muckraker, Martin. Oh, I think it must have been you, Alan. I'm sure you're the provocateur, not me. Yeah, probably, probably the case. But I want to begin with looking at the veracity of some of the things that the premier said, and be very serious about this because what we were talking about when I had you on the program yesterday is the potential cost of breaking the master framework agreement, which is the thing that governs alcohol sales in this province. And the government of Ontario says it's going to expand those to beer and the beer and wine to corner stores, and that might have a cost. Now, you mentioned Hydro One and a company called Avista. Tell me, what is that company and what happened with Hydro One? Well, the background to that, though, is the $6 million man. That's the touchstone that everyone may remember from last year's campaign, a great slogan, bumper sticker slogan that the premier used, just like Buck of Beer. And he promised to fire that $6 million man at no cost, no severance. And he almost pulled that off, except for the knock-on effect of Hydro One having already planned to take over a couple of American utilities in the Southwest, in the, in the Northwest, I should say. And, you know, the Premier debated that in your show last night, and maybe he's an expert on acquisitions and mergers. I don't pretend to be. But that was the business strategy. I, I have seen uh, arguments for and against. The point is that by firing the CEO of Hydro One, the Premier kind of blew their cover and made it very clear that the government was meddling and basically controlling and dictating and directing how this supposedly private sector utility was operating. And once he did that, the jig was up. 
and American regulators said, you know what, this isn't just a private company taking over our state utilities. This is the Ontario government calling the shots. Sure. And the deal was scotched. And so uh, Hydro One had to pay a hundred million dollar fee, a kill fee. And, uh, you know, the one mistake I made yesterday was not reminding your readers that that's a hundred million U.S. dollars. So, Alan, we take out our calculators <laughs> and that's about 133 All right, Martin, million. come on now. We're not buying shoes over the border and scuffing them up before we bring them home, as Donald Trump once said of our nation. But I want to play for you because what you said, uh, precisely that, was I think the thing that incensed the premier the most. Uh, and he called in, and here I will play for you what he had to say. In Washington State, and then what happened there is the markets reacted positively. Actually, the stock market, Alan, went, uh, the stock went up uh, for Hydro One because it was a terrible deal. It was a terrible deal for the taxpayers. It would have cost us hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. And uh, again, the market uh, told the truth. Uh, the the price went up. But was, so isn't it, is it not true, Premier, that the regulators cited political interference in Hydro One, your government's political well, interference, and that's well, why they can't sell no, that? Well, that, 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 that's not 100% accurate. Again, we have to go back to the root cause. Why are we investing in, uh, you know, uh, power companies, uh, per se, out in out, out, out west? That also burned coal and all, all the other... Uh, uh, all the other uh, areas that people don't like. So, anyways, at the end of the day, the market went up, the stock went up for the shareholders of Ontario. So there, Martin, is what the Premier had to say yesterday. Uh, let's let's begin with what he is perhaps right about, or, or at least has, has a right to say, which is it was a terrible deal and it wasn't something Hydro One should have done in the first place, and that happened under the previous administration. But if I recall, it was still a private entity when it made that deal. Yes, it wasn't directed by the Ontario government. It was a take. It was a takeover, acquisition, and growth strategy seeking synergies. Look, I'm not here to defend the beer store, capitalism, mergers and acquisitions, but they happen all the time. And I have never heard the premier make a coherent case on the campaign trail for trying to stop that takeover. That was never part of the agenda or the discussion. It was all about firing the six million dollar man at no cost. And it cost us $133 million, $33 million more than yesterday. And the the rest of his contention, which was that the stock market went up, that was good for Ontario shareholders, Ontario taxpayers, and, and uh, he seemed to be making the point that that would have offset any kind of fee. Well, let's not insult the intelligence of our listeners today. Everybody knows that there are paper gains and paper losses that happen to date after day. Just like our listeners know, your listeners, that gas prices go up and they go down. And it's not because of a carbon tax. Gas prices are going up faster and faster because Donald Trump is squeezing Iran's oil supply exports. And so those same measures of stock markets and gas prices, they're here today and they're gone tomorrow. And I noticed that when when you made some of those points to the premier, he said, well, that's not 100% accurate. Well, (laughs) and then he said, Anyways, which is kind of a deflection alert. Look, it cost $133 million more than he said it would, and that's a problem that we all have to live with. Let's move on to what we were initially talking about yesterday, which was the Master Framework Agreement, and as we're talking about the uh, expansion of the sale of beer and wine to corner stores, and, and what that has to do with, of course, what we're talking about, Hydro One, is all about what happens when you break contracts? When What happens when you break contracts as a government? 
Now, the premier called in yesterday. I'll just quickly quote what he had to say. Now, as for the discussions we're having with the beer store, actually, I'll back that right up. Uh, where is it here? Uh, Alan, I don't know about the people. I think the people of Ontario are mature enough to go into a Costco, grab a bottle of wine. I think that's a false argument. He makes that all the time. That's not what we're talking about. I think we're adults as well. As for the discussions we're having with the beer store, I can't get into it. But arbitrarily, you guys are throwing out $200 million. Again, not accurate. You're misleading the people and the public when you say statements like that. It's not very surprising. Where did we get $200 million and is there any veracity, any accuracy to that number? Well, let me just first say that the Premier keeps saying, the reason that, that you called yesterday to get some, have a chat going was that fundraising letter he sent out saying, we're not babies, we're, we're grown up enough to have beer in convenience stores. But you notice what he did yesterday in that clip that you just played or just the transcript you just read, he said, we're not babies. We can go into a Costco and a supermarket and buy our beer and get some steaks. Uh, the premier loves to say that, even though he's a vegetarian and doesn't drink. But be that as it may, uh, this an ordinary guy. Uh, no one that I know, certainly not me, is opposed to having beer or wine in supermarkets and Costco's because guess what? We already have that. And I don't see an uproar in this province. And I was someone who cheered that on and called for the beer store to loosen its grip. So, we're mixing up convenience stores, which is an inefficient mode of distribution, thousands of small stores scattered all over the province, against supermarkets, which are domestically owned and models of efficiency. Now, that $200 million figure, I didn't use that number. The point is, as you raised yesterday, is that part of that a contract, Julie signed contract is that the beer store had to invest $100 million in upgrading its crappy facilities. Forgive me for saying that. <laughs> no, come on. It's true. like it's Brezhnev era Soviet uh, Union when you go in okay. there. Am I right? Stalinist, it is like, Stalinist, comrade, Stalinist we era. don't have the beer you want. And the beer store, bless their capitalist hearts, agreed to invest $100 million. And guess what? They've done it. They did the deal. So if we try to break that deal early early. Maybe they won't break it early. Maybe they'll phase it in later. Maybe that's Doug Ford's plan. Good on him. Let's just know how much it's going to cost. So $100 million down so far, plus a one-year cost free, a one-year price freeze that the brewers put in. Who's going to reimburse them for that? So this was a deal that was supposed to last 10 years with a two-year notification clause. If the premier wants to break it, great. Just let us know if we're going to have a replay of the Hydro One $133 million man disaster. Martin Reg Khan is the columnist for the Toronto Star at Queen's Park uh, and uh, kindly did a return visit to the radio program today to talk more about what's happening in Ontario and what the Premier had to say on this program yesterday. Thank you so much, Martin. Appreciate you being with us. Alan, Alan before, you, before you drop me, can I just say one more thing? The, the real news today is yes. that Premier Doug Ford and I share one thing in common. Uh-oh. We both try to catch your show when we can. It's that kind of soaping that will get you on the program anytime. You can also uh, see uh, Martin on Focus Ontario every once in a while. You can read him in the Toronto Star. Anything else you want to sell now that I have you here? Uh, do you have like a line of fragrances or anything? We're going to have to talk, discuss this over a few beers. Uh, <laughs> yes. Ontario Craft Beers as well. Thank you. I appreciate that, Martin. Uh, and Premier, did you enjoy this last segment? But Alan, it's always a pleasure speaking to you. Oh, thank you very much. 
Welcome back to the uh, Giant Radio Program. Thank you so much for being with us. We have a a big segment ahead as we continue to look into the things that uh, Doug Ford said when he called in unexpectedly to the radio program yesterday. And that interview can be uh, heard in its entirety on globalnews.ca. And you can uh, find that on the Alan Carter Radio Program page, or you can just search uh, Doug Ford uh, Alan Carter, and it will come up. And if that one doesn't come up, there's this great interview I did when he released his book. Uh, and I'll just I'll just start with this. What he I said to him because remember he said before the book came out he said uh, this book is going to just blow the the lid off the political establishment. And and I said when I got the book, hey, hey did, I, did I get the wrong cover, wrong copy of the book? Was that so? And the interview went downhill from there. But that's a story for another day. Uh, one of the things that he did say yesterday was he was talking about public health, and I was asking the, the premier about cuts to public health and what that might mean. Here is what he said to that. But yeah, yeah public health, health uh, we, we went from seventy-five percent shared, shared services down, down to fifty. Those are the all around. We're going to try and fix that. I don't know where it a little we're, sticker on saying it's uh, safety here. We, Rob is the Rob is also doing it and he thinks that I'm too stupid to figure out how to press the button which is not wrong I mean fair it's fair you want to play it again play it again but yes public health uh, we went from 75% shared services down to 50 those are the folks that go around and uh, go into restaurants and put the little sticker on saying it's uh, safe to eat here what is it with the Ford government and stickers anyway but these public health money goes to the people who put the stickers on restaurants Dr. Rosanna Salvaterra is from the Peterborough Medical, or is the Peterborough Medical Officer of Health, pardon me. Uh, doctor, do you think that uh, the Premier understands what money for public health means and does? I'm sorry, you've really given me, uh, you've, you've made me laugh. Thank you, very, <laughs> thank you very much for playing that clip. That was hilarious. Um, no, I mean, it's obvious we do more than put stickers in restaurants, you know, public health. I mean, when we're doing our job well, you are, we're invisible because, you know, we've prevented the outbreaks. We've, we've stopped you from getting sick when you eat in a restaurant or, or turn on the water, uh, turn on the tap and drink your water. We, we immunize. We're in schools. We check your kids' teeth. Uh, you know, we focus on substance abuse and injuries. Um, so, so we're, we're sort of a bit of a, the, the, the security infrastructure that help keep bad things from happening and encouraging people to live healthy lifestyles. The Premier yesterday was touting his first budget as being right down the middle of the road, not too hot, not too cold. There were no cuts, as you said. However, according to the Peterborough Public Health Unit, you're saying that the budget actually results in a loss of 27% in funding? Yes, and you're right. The, the, the budget calls it a savings rather than a cut. And I, I think it's misleading because, um, I mean, even if you were to um, restructure and amalgamate into larger public health regions, uh, if you do the math and you, you eliminate 25 medical officer of health positions and, and you cut all of the directors across the province, uh, you, you end up with about a $40 million uh, Savings. Um, what they're uh, pro- uh, what they're projecting is twenty mil- two hundred million dollars, uh, and that is twenty seven percent of our budget. So it goes far above and beyond any efficiencies that could be gained by by streamlining and amalgamating. 
Help me understand this here, because there is so much rhetoric. I mean, uh, on we talk about teachers. You know, the, the government says no teacher is going to lose their job. And then at the same time, then we have, you know, weeping students saying, well, my favorite teacher is being fired. And so in between there, there's truth. And yet somewhere in between, you know, warning about a public outbreak or a disaster and you know, spending less money and, and getting spending under control. There's truth there, too. Help me understand where the truth is on this subject. Well, you know, you know where the truth is? The truth is that if you invest upstream in prevention, you can prevent people from becoming patients and ending up in the hallways of our hospitals. So public health is about upstream prevention. Every dollar that you spend in preventing tobacco use ends up saving us $20 in healthcare costs. Every dollar in vaccines, and let's say the measles immunization, prevents a, a, a loss of $16 in averted healthcare costs. So public health is, is about that upstream work uh, that uh, in the long run saves us a lot of money. But what's in the budget is not about protecting that. It's about you know, trying to find efficiencies, and I'm in favor of finding efficiencies. I'm all for that. But it's also potentially about downloading these costs to the municipalities, forcing municipalities to pay for it, forcing people uh, to pay for it out of property taxes, maybe, rather than income taxes, and putting a larger burden on our municipalities, which, uh, with for some, uh, they, they, uh, and then potentially threatening the services by making them discretionary so that they're no longer provided. Doctor, I just really want to read the rest of the clip that I know we played the sticker thing, which was, you know, funny, but here's the rest of what he said previous mm-hmm. to that. Let's talk about public health, and just for listeners, it's, it's not possible to map, I believe he said, uh, we actually increased the budget to healthcare uh, 1.3 billion, 17 billion into new hospitals. Yes, public health, we went from 75% shared service, uh, shared costs rather down to 50. So the municipality pays 50, we pay 50. Is that your understanding? That's the that's the, uh, my understanding. They're going to shift the costs. Uh, for public health to, so that a greater proportion is being paid by municipalities. All right, doctor, appreciate that as we're trying to get to, to some truth today on what uh, the impact of our budget is. That's Dr. Rosanna Salvaterra, who is Medical Officer of Health in Peterborough. Thank you. You're welcome. We want to move now to legal aid and something else the Premier said yesterday uh, when we talked about cuts to legal aid, and again, they don't call it cuts, they call it efficiencies, but there is a change in funding that amounts again to about a 30% reduction in funding. When I pressed the Premier about what the human impact would be on that, he said this. If anyone needs support uh, on legal aid, feel free to call my office. You will, I will guarantee you that you will have legal aid. Uh, according to this news story, and I believe this is from Canadian Press, legal aid CEO David Field said in a memo to staff that was sent out on Monday, this is last week, that the province has told the agency it can only use federal funding to cover new immigration and refugee services this year. Uh, and a government spokesperson says the federal government should fulfill its responsibility to newcomers by shouldering the costs of such cases. So much of this is being said to hinge on immigration, but is that the full story? Mary Birdsell is Executive Director of Justice for Children and Youth and joins me. Mary, thanks for being on the program. Thank you for your interest. When you hear the guarantee 
Is there anybody that you know who might be calling Doug Ford in the next couple of days? Uh, well, I, I did think that was a very interesting comment. Um, you know, Legal Aid in Ontario is administered by Legal Aid Ontario, the, the uh, independent organization which has received its funding from the government. Um, I think that while uh, there is a huge uh, impact to refugees who are in need of legally aided services, um, there will be impacts on other people as well, many, many other people. T- tell, me, t- tell me the other people that will be impacted. Well, so, so where I work, the, the organization that I work in is called Justice for Children and Youth, and it's one of the legal aid clinics um, that offers services to very low-income people in the province of Ontario. Um, there are uh, a number of clinics across the province, about 70, 72 clinics across the province, who offer services, many of them to the people in their geographic area. Uh, so low-income people who need legal assistance uh, can go to the clinics and, and try and get information and sometimes representation on their legal issues. Um, there are another group of us, and, and Justice for Children is a specialty legal clinic. So we have a provincial mandate. Our mandate is to provide uh, legal services to low-income children and, and homeless young people across the province of Ontario. Um, and, uh, and, you know, if there are cuts to our budget, uh, we will uh, uh, be able to offer fewer services than we currently offer. So there but, will be people who go without. But, Mary, I have this. Sorry, go ahead. I have, can we turn that bad, bad boy up again? I just wanted to play you will, it. I will guarantee you that you will have legal aid. It's a guarantee right there. It's a guarantee. So uh, where is there a disconnect between what the Premier is saying and what's really going to happen? I, I'm not sure how to respond to him saying that. I've, I've never heard of anybody calling the Premier's office in order to get legal aid, and, and I, I'm not sure what the Premier would do to guarantee somebody legally aided services. Um, the Ministry of the Attorney General does fund legal aid, and, and that's the way people usually uh, seek to get legally aided services. And you have to be below a very low income threshold in order to get services because we already put you know strict limits on what's available. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't seem to make sense to me. Um, I, I think that would be a very strange thing to have happen. Mary Birdsell is Executive Director of Justice for Children and Youth and joined me on the line. Thank you so much. I appreciate you being with us. Uh, no trouble. Thank you for your interest. Uh, Doug Ford, when you listened to that, what did you think? Almost hit three telephone poles. Which, well, please, the the problem with that, of course, is premier is you're not allowed to drive. I don't know if you know this, but when you're premier, you actually have a driver serves, and they don't let you drive. So, uh, please, d- just be careful with that, okay? Alan, Alan, Alan. Yeah, all right, that's fine. That's fine, Premier. I do appreciate that. I know we have to get going to our next segment in which we're going to be talking about Google Play and your privacy. Do you use the old Google Play? Uh, Was that my producer saying that Doug Ford's on the line again? Is Doug Doug Ford, are you calling back in at all, Doug? But, Alan, it's always a pleasure speaking to you. Thanks, Doug. Welcome back to the program and uh, proof that you just never know who's listening. And I hope you enjoyed our last hour. We sort of went over what uh, Premier Doug Ford had to say when he unexpectedly called the program yesterday. You talking to me? Uh, yes, yes. I, I was, I was talking. talking yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, so, it, and anyway, the, the next thing that we have here, it, 
Thank you, Travis. Uh, the next thing we ha- we're going to talk about is your privacy and whether or not your privacy is safe, depending on what kind of apps you use. And you know there's an app for that. There's always an app for something. And I'm just going to read you a top paragraph of this fascinating BuzzFeed article that I, I stumbled upon. A, across a host of popular Android apps from a major Chinese developer, including a selfie app with more than 50 million downloads, have been committing large-scale ad fraud and abusing user permissions, this is according to the BuzzFeed News Investigation. And this is all to do with something called Do Global, which is a Chinese app developer. It has 800 million monthly active users on its platforms. It comes out of China, obviously, and to talk more about this. I am pleased to welcome to the program Adam Oldfield, who is an entrepreneur, tech expert uh, at FPM3.com. Adam, thank you for being on the program. My pleasure, Alan. My pleasure. Yes, privacy is a big deal, and I'm happy to talk about it anytime, especially when it comes to the simple programs we use. I find it crazy that we just automatically just give up so much information to these things. I never read, I never read the terms of all the rest of that. I just say, yep, you take it. And I think we all do that. And then we get ourselves into some trouble, don't we? Well, we do. And I, I think Google's trying to step up their game. And there's a lot of words, and we've seen this in, in Parliament and this, uh, the Senate in regards to, you know, what is happening with our privacy? What are they doing? What is Google doing as this trillion-dollar company uh, out there uh, providing all of us users the, the convenience of mapping where we go, getting our email and otherwise? And one of the things that they really tried to do about two months ago is tell all of us consumers that we're going to make the Google Play Store where you download the apps safer. Uh, one of the big things that was happening, very not like this company at Do Global, uh, a lot of companies were asking for permissions that weren't necessary. For example, a calculator at one time was necessarily asking permissions to use your camera, your audio device, and I don't know why they would need a camera to do math, but uh, at the end of the day, these permissions were being requested, and like you just identified, hey, yes, 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 I approve, I approve, yeah, 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 go ahead, all right, let me into the program. Um, What happens is this information is being caught, stolen, tracked, monitored, and the big thing is sold. And that's really where the privacy issue becomes uh, uh, an issue where people are using our data, your data, my data, and they're using that for ad reasons. Google pays a premium for people's information um, to track data that people pay ads for. Well, here's the thing is they don't give a crap about, you know, your domestic that you're having, and they don't really care about your, you know, your below the waist pic and your bathroom selfie. They don't really care. Like people think, oh my God, like they don't care. That what no, they care no. about is, you know, do you want to buy, you know, whatever, a new car? That's what they care about. They want to know your travel styles. They want to know where you shop. They want to know what car you drive. They want to know all of the habits you, you, you they want to know the shows you're listening to. Um, you know, this is, this is big, big business. Uh, as an advertising agency, I love this data. If a client said to me, hey, help me advertise. That is the data that we want to have available, accessible to us. To so help why do we care then? If it's not our, you know, our pick south of the border, then why, why should I care? Go ahead. Go ahead and tailor your ads to me. 
I think the issue is really is coming down to how much information are we giving and who's actually seeing it. So for example, you know, the one I gave you from an advertising agency, sure. If I love to buy Joe fresh clothing and Joe wants to give me a discount, I'd be more than happy to get that. Why well, not? We better get a discount now that you mentioned it. There better be sending over a whole lot of clothes right here. T-shirt, Alan. Yeah. I'll throw one in. That's right. Yeah. You came on this radio show and all you got is a crappy T-shirt. Listen, we're out of time. Adam Oldfield, appreciate you being on. Thank you so much. All right. Here's the other thing that I noticed the other day, and I just want you to think about this the next time you're on any website. Right when you, when you put your information in, what is the th- what is the thing that they make you click? It says submit. Why am I always submitting? Why do I? What is it? Why is the internet some weird S and M you know dungeon where I must submit all the time? Welcome back to the program on a somber anniversary in the city of Toronto. It was a year ago that we were just at this moment beginning to learn about what had transpired in North Toronto. It was at 1.27 p.m. one year ago today that that first call came in to 911 about a van driving erratically on the sidewalk. At 1.34 the driver of the van was arrested. Seven minutes of terror. When the carnage was added up, ten people had lost their lives. And our city had to look inwards about who we were, how we would respond to this kind of thing. In about 45 minutes from now, a memorial will take place to mark what happened that day to thank the first responders, the Good Samaritans. My co-anchor, Farah Nasser, will be broadcasting our news program beginning at 5.30 tonight, live from there, from where it all happened. And she spoke earlier with John Tory, who talked about that day and what was going through his mind as he arrived on the scene. When you arrived, what time would that have been? Because this happened around 1.30. Would it have been an hour after? I think it was about an hour later. An hour after. And so you're walking through Mel Lastman Square, and, and, and you're seeing these bodies. Have you ever seen anything like that before? I've never seen anything like that in, in my life. And unfortunately, later in the year, I was to see that kind of thing again on the Danforth. And uh, these are just not things that we assume happen in Toronto. And I, and I guess that was always an incorrect assumption that we would somehow be immune as a global city uh, from these kinds of things happening. I, I mean, you like to think we have a different way of life here. But to walk through Mel Lastman Square and have it absolutely deserted, except for the odd emergency services person, to then to get to Young Street and it's deserted. There isn't a car moving, there isn't, uh, uh, nothing is happening, but there are emergency services personnel that are around bodies that are still lying on the ground covered. The silence, the eerie silence of Young Street with the bodies there was something you just thought was not something that belonged in the city of Toronto, and it doesn't belong anywhere, but you certainly didn't think it belonged here because we just didn't think those things happened here. That is Mayor John Tory in a conversation with my co-anchor Farah Nasser, which you can see that in its entirety tonight on Global News, which is on the air on television at 5.30 and then simulcast on this radio station beginning at 6 p.m. And far, as I mentioned, will be live in North York, marking the one-year anniversary. Uh, and 
Talking more about the things that we learned that day, and I think this is so important today that we really focus on the victims, the first responders. But at the same time, I also truly believe that you can never defeat evil unless you name it. And so it was a year ago today that so many of us learned a word that we'd never heard before, namely incel. The accused in this case, Alex Manassian, 26 years of age, is charged with 10 counts of first-degree murder and 16 counts of attempted murder. His trial is set for next February. In a post prior to the incident, the uh, alleged incident, I will have to be careful here, of course we have a court case to come, he identified himself as a member of the incel movement, Uh, and I'm reading from Wikipedia here, incels are members of an online subculture who define themselves as unable to find a romantic or sexual partner despite having one. They are uh, self-identified as largely white, almost exclusively male. Of course, that does not mean that everyone in that community, obviously, or on that subculture would do something, and again, would be alleged to do something of this magnitude. I just think that today we need to turn our minds to our city and to the people who are suffering and also to say to ourselves, we have survived. We've survived a terrible year in this city. And, you know, if you go out on the Danforth, it's full of people. And summer is coming and the streets will be packed and the squares will be packed and there will be celebrations and we will go on and we will celebrate this city for what it is, but we will never forget this day in 2018. I want to move on, if I can, to a little something we call Rip and Read. And what this is is I just go to the wire copy, the machine that spits out wire services. This is new services from around the world. And what I do here is I just read them cold. And I, goodness gracious, it's going to be fun. Is it, are, are we ready for this? And I read it cold. And uh, for this, I need a little in my feelings. A little, little Drake is going to help me propel my way through here. Here we go. We're going to begin in Moscow. Reading cold. Ripping and reading. A polar bear, which was found roaming around a village in eastern Russia, hundreds of miles away from its usual habitat, has been airlifted back home. The exhausted-looking animal apparently traveled on an ice flow from the remote, sparsely Chutkola, I'm not even close, to a village in Kamchatka, which I remember from playing Risk, about 700 kilometers south when it was found. Russian emergency authorities on Monday mounted an operation to repatriate the bear. A member of the response team shot a tranquilizer at the bear, put it in a container and into a helicopter which flew to the snow-covered Chutkola. The bear was then released into the wild. This is from the Associated Press. Let's move to Gainesville, Florida. A large flightless bird that fatally attacked a Florida man is among 100 exotic animals from his estate now up for auction. The Gainesville Sun reports that Gulf Coast Livestock Auction will auction the cassowary that killed 75-year-old Marvin Hadros in accordance with his last wishes. The county sheriff's office says uh, he apparently fell on April 12th and then the bird attacked him. First responders rushed him to a hospital, but he died. Now, cassowaries, for those of us who are not entirely sure what that is, they're similar to emus. 
They're six feet tall and 130 pounds. The animals being auctioned include two double wattled cassowaries and five ring-tailed and ruffled lemurs. Let's go to Williamstown, Williamstown, Kentucky, where the owner of a Kentucky barbecue food truck got more heat than he bargained for when he began selling T-shirts with the message, I support LGBTQ. And then beliefs beneath that, Liberty Guns Bible Trump Barbecue. Bell Smoking Barbecue owner Jamie Smith told the news outlets the backlash started with a Facebook post last week advertising the shirts. He says after a few hours, he began to get threatening calls. Much of the backlash came after the Louisville Fairness Campaign shared the post on a Facebook page. The group fights discrimination based on gender, identity, and sexual orientation. Smith says he was making a play on words. He meant no offense. The original post has been replaced with apology. However, Smith is still selling the shirts. He... All right, he's sold out for now, but okay. This is the... That's boring. Hastings, Florida. Officials say Florida firefighters used the jaws of life to free a Rottweiler that got her head stuck in a cinder block. St. John's County Fire Rescue posted a Facebook uh, post on... Uh, that Saturday that said firefighters had responded to a home in Hastings and there they found a six-month-old dog named Fifi who had managed to wedge her head inside a hole in the block while sniffing around the home. The resident called rescue workers. Deputies arrived uh, and they used Fifi using soap and water. When that didn't work, firefighters used a hydraulic tool to break the block into pieces. Officials say Fifi was not injured. To Boston, get swole, prepare to bug out bag, grab a, grab a Coke cup. I, man, I'm, I'm sucking at this now. Here we go, one more time. Off the top. One, two, three. Boston, get swole, prepare a bug out bag, grab a go cup, and maybe you'll have a better chance of surviving the omnicide. Translation, hit the gym, bulk up, punch a bunch of stuff essential for survival in an easy carry bag, grab a drink for the road. Perhaps you'll live through a man-made disaster that could wipe out the human race. All right. What is this? This is uh, what is new in the dictionary. Swole, bug out bag, go cup, and omnicide are just a few of the 640 additions to Merriam-Webster's dictionary added on Monday. This is a horribly written story. I'm sorry, man, but... Are you going to define some of those words? No. Okay. I, what? You want... I did. I just did. I kind of feel like we're, did. we're doing bug the out, IKEA sleep podcast here. Bug out bag. That is where you put a bunch of stuff essential for survival in an easy-to-carry bag. Okay, that was the one I was curious about. I didn't know that. Go cup. I think that's self-evident. Yeah. An omnicide, which is the man-made disaster that could wipe out the human race, sometimes also referred to as this radio program. I think I have one more. Can we get one more in? Coachella, California, quickly. Rip and read, last one. A woman has been arrested for allegedly throwing seven newborn puppies into a South California dumpster. No, I don't like that one. One more. Uh, the British Columbia Interior Health Authority is warning street drug users of synthetic cannabinoids that have been linked to a so-called zombie outbreak in New York. Okay, now you got me. Tests at a Kamloops overdose prevention sites found the powerful drug mixed with heroin, fentanyl, and caffeine. Ba, 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 ba. 
Yeah, he said workers are seeing that users are becoming more aware that they have to have illicit drugs tested. Okay, so it's not actually a zombie thing. It's actually serious. Well, that was a little bit of rip and read, and I hope you enjoyed all of that. Uh, Doug Ford, when you were listening to all of that, what went through your mind? Almost hit three telephone poles. Well, that's good, but please don't don't hit the telephone poles. Uh, Always good to have Doug Ford with us. I hope you enjoyed this, uh, uh, this radio program. Doug, did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy your program? But, Alan, it's always a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much. Provided that no one calls the CRTC, I'm back here again. We'll see you tomorrow.